You are now listening to Trillionaires, a race ahead. Great recession did not affect everyone in the same way. A new report shows that the wealth gap between whites, blacks, and Hispanics are the widest they've been since the government started keeping track 25 years ago. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. This is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Building off of part one, I wanted to start this episode by laying what are the counter arguments for reparations. Part one um, was really the argument for reparations in a very common sense logical perspective right you did someone wrong for 250 years and now you have to repay that wrong very simple logical argument at least you would think the arguments against reparations are so flawed that it's almost laughable, but I thought before we got into discussing specific examples of how the U.S. government has carried out reparations for other groups like, quote unquote, Native Americans and Hawaiian Americans, I thought it was good for you as a listener to understand why reparations have not yet happened yet. The biggest argument against reparations is that no one alive today was a slave. No one alive today had to deal with slavery that is black. That's the simplest argument. Oh, why are you worried about that? That was 400 years ago. We have to get past that. We've made so much progress as a country. That's what a politician will tell you in your face. We've made so much progress. Why are you worried about slavery? I don't want to pay for something that I had no responsibility in doing. This is what a a white politician will tell you. But in that same breath, they benefit off of slavery. One would argue your position is such because of slavery. 
your position of power, your position of influence, your economic solidarity as a group is built on enslavement. The money that you've been passed down from generation to generation, the land, the homes, the businesses, the access to capital that your skin color provides you is rooted in slavery and white supremacy. So even though you weren't alive to enslave and I wasn't alive to be enslaved, we still feel the remnants of slavery till this day. How many people do you know, and this is for my listeners that are black, could you go to your your grandparents, an uncle, your parents even, with a business plan and say, yeah, I only need $50,000 to get it done? Do your family have the wealth? Does your family have the wealth and the assets to be able to lend you money to take risk and pursue the quote-unquote American dream? That's foreign. That is a foreign concept in our community. Oh, you got a grandpa that just gave you money? That is the true effect of slavery. That is the true effect of racism, and that is the true effect of white supremacy on black people in America quote-unquote, black people in America, is that in a land where capitalism reigns, in a land where money equals power, equals influence, if you do not have money, you are not truly equal. That is why the racial wealth gap exists, period. So that argument is flawed. The next argument, well, we're talking 12 to 15 trillion dollars here. Where are we going to get this money from? We're already in so much debt. Why would we want to burden ourselves with more debt? We need to be we need to be worrying about the entire country as a whole, not just black people. And these are these are quotes and articles from Politicians that are asked about reparations. Why burden our country with that much more debt? Why spend that much more money on black folks for reparations? We apologized to, to them in 2009 for it. What, what are we doing? In 2009, that was during the Obama administration as a sidebar. The only thing black people got out of that administration was a damn apology for slavery. Some people have put the money that black households would get at values of $800,000, which seems Insane, especially when I go through these examples that we're going to speak of. $800,000 per household, which should tell you one thing. 
damn. Slavery was big business. Damn. Black people really built this motherfucker. $800,000 per household. Of course you don't want to give us that money because you know that it's, it's, it's not a, it's no longer a moral issue because the morals, you, you can't argue the morals of the situation when it comes to reparations. America knows what it did. It, is, it, it has acknowledged such by even apologizing. So it, mora- it morally, it knows it messed up. Economically, the money is there. We print, we can create money out of thin air. We've got land. We've got tons of resources. There are ways in which the money can be generated. That's not the issue. The issue is really dependency. If you give every black family $800,000, what will they need you for? What will they need to work in your businesses for? What will they need to spend money with you for? What will they need you for? On a large scale, of course, we'll still need them in some some aspects, but on a large scale. Every family got 800,000. Yo, let's buy this whole block. Let's get invest in healthy restaurants. Let's get a black owned grocery store on the, on the on the corner. Hey, let's build up this black school and put some money in it. Let's get a black bus company started to make sure people can get back and forth to work. Just think about the endless amount of opportunities that reparations would afford us. It's, it's, it's literally a foreign concept to us, but this is other people's reality. They live on blocks where families are worth that much. They have, they have grandparents and uncles and great-grandparents that just gave them hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's foreign for us. Reparations would truly change the world. Because now we are starting to enlighten ourselves, starting to realize the value of working together. We're starting to fight back, make our voices known, loud, and heard. But the economics is, is, is what's going to take, take us to the next level. We can't do anything without it. So that was a, a little tangent, and I apologize for that. Back to the topic at hand, reparations part two. Let's start to explore specific examples of reparations. And no better place to start than with, quote unquote, Native Americans. In 1946, there was a call to Congress to explore reparations for Native Americans for the colonization of Native Americans for stealing their land, pretty much. Let's let's just keep it real. For invading their country, stealing their land, and taking it over. 
So after World War II, 1946, Congress creates the Indian Claims Commission, which was essentially a group of people which were designed to hear historical grievances um, from tribes and compensate them for their lost land and territories. After doing all this research, Congress ended up awarding $1.3 billion to 176 tribes. That money wasn't just dispersed. So it wasn't $1.6 million that was just handed over to individuals who claimed um, Native American ancestry. It was given to leaders of different tribes or groups. The largest award was over $35 million for land, primarily in West Texas, which went to the Kiowas, Comanches, and Apache Indians in 1974. Meanwhile, remember, this claims commission was in 1946. This award of $35 million to the Kiowas, Comanches, and Apaches didn't get dispersed until 1974. So there was some time in between. And that's 35 million, three tribes, so roughly 12 million, nearly a, a, a tribe. That, trail, that 12 million was then used on um, individual projects for the tribe. Some went to improve and build things on the reservations, build businesses, casinos. But in actuality, individual Native Americans roughly got about a thousand dollars per person per person so not a lot when you put it in the perspective of individuals receiving compensation thousand dollars okay but I'm, I can do something I can do something with that but the reservation was taken care of they were given land and they're able to use that money as a group to invest. So some would argue, hey, not a bad deal. I would say not enough. But it is what it is. They got something. And the U.S. government was willing to part with something. That's important. Our second example explores Hawaiian Americans. A lot of people don't know, but Hawaii and its land was invaded similar to how Europeans invaded and took over what we now know as America. You had indigenous people in Hawaii living there unbothered. Not, not, they didn't know about the United States didn't know about Europe. They didn't care. They were already there in Hawaii living their life, which I can imagine was pretty peaceful. But beginning as early as 1893, their islands were start started to be taken by the federal government 
in wake of the overthrow of the kingdom of Hawaii. White businesses started to flock to Hawaii in the late 19th century and bought up all of the land and established plantations, paid the locals there very cheaply. And the natives, indigenous Hawaiians, began living in these crowded cities that they had no, never seen these Europeans before. So now they're living in crowded cities with all these low paid workers on plantations and they're starting to die off from diseases because they had no immunity to them. They weren't introduced or exposed to this much congestion up until this point. As a result, nearly all of them died out and by 1920, there were only an estimated 22,000 native Hawaiians left. And in 1920, there were only an estimated 22,600 native Hawaiians left compared to nearly 690,000 in the late 1700s when Europeans first made contact with the island. These businesses would lease land from the native Hawaiians to build large sugar plantains, large ranching um, operations. And eventually the native Hawaiians was like, yo, y'all can't be using and taking up all our land. You need to repay us for this. You've killed off all our people. All our people have died off. You, you have to pay for that. So in 1920, there was, again, this is going to be a recurring theme. The Hawaiian Homes Commission Act of 1920, which established a land trust for Native Hawaiians and allowed people um, of one half Hawaiian ancestry to lease land from the federal government for a period of 99 years for $1. Pretty sweet deal. So, yeah, you, you want some land? Sure, we'll give you some land here. You can lease it for all you want. Just give us a dollar. Sweet deal, right? You can get the land. You can get land for a dollar. But of course, the government ain't that nice. They gave the Hawaiians the worst land on the island. It was remote. Much of it was unfit for development, so you couldn't build on top of it. You couldn't grow. So you essentially just stuck. They said, yeah, just take that land and go over there. Similar to what they did with the Native Americans. Here's some land. Build your reservation. Have a good life. So as, as, as messed up as that sound, they got something. They've got something. If the government offered black people land for a dollar, I don't care where it's at. 
I'm buying as much of it as I can. (laughs) So at least they got something. The most recent example of reparations by our lovely government has been to repay Japanese Americans who were placed in internment camps and displaced from their homes during World War II just simply for being Japanese and in America. World War II obviously was against Japan. So that's as if America was fighting a war in Africa and they said, oh, you black? Nah, get out your house. We're going to put you in this camp. You can't leave because we're fearful that you may be spying on us to aid Africa in the war. That was exactly what happened to Japanese Americans uh, during World War II. They were taken out their homes, businesses, schools, placed in internment camps um, for the duration of the war. And mind you, none of these people were convicted. There was no evidence of them being spies. There were no evidence of them conspiring against the government. They were not a threat at all. But they were forced out their homes, lost businesses, lost property, and brutalized by that experience all because of who they were. Messed up, right? Kind of similar to black people just being treated unfairly simply because we're black. No other reason. There's no scientific evidence that we're savages like they say we are. There's no scientific evidence, no proof that we've ever done anything to harm white people or be a threat to white people. But yet we are the most feared group in the world. We've been enslaved. There was a whole system created to enslave us, to oppress us, simply because we are who we are. Fucked up. Here's what the Japanese did about it. 1988, there was an act passed called the Civil Liberties Act, which essentially said that the U.S. government had to pay $20,000 to every survivor of Japanese American internment camps during World War II, 20,000 to the mother, the father, and the children that survived being in those internment camps, that were placed in those internment camps during World War II. And this is the funny part. Again, there was a government-appointed commission that considered testimony from over 750 people. And 
the conclusion was that, yo, we were interned simply because of racial prejudice and because you were at war. There was no need to do this. I lost my home. I lost lost my business. And I'm going to suffer from this. This is pain and suffering for the rest of my life and the rest of my family's life. Because we had to go through this. That was the basis of the argument. And Congress said, you know what? You're right. Here's $20,000 per person. And we're not talking about 150 years of being in an internment camp. We ain't even talking about 50 years of being in an internment camp. And you got 20000 per person. Slavery, 250 Jim Crow, mass incarceration, discrimination, segregation, another 150 So what do we what do we owe? These three examples show you that the government is willing to pay what it owes. It's done it before on small scales. What it's not willing to do, what it doesn't want to do, is empower its most powerful people. You see, I talked about dependency earlier. But the United States truly depends on us. Think about it. America wouldn't be America without black people. Literally, wouldn't be America without black people. It needs us to build and support this false superiority, this false greatness that is America. If it repays the people that it enslaved, the people that built it, what does that say about America? What does that say about white supremacy? That is fake, right? And that's why it's so important. We've been living in falsehood. We've been lied to. You've been made to believe that you're less than. You've been told to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Stop asking for handouts. Stop talking about slavery. Let's get past that. We've made progress. We haven't. The cake, I mean, the police officers are still killing people without any punishment. This is why reparations are important. Because if you don't fix the foundation, the house will eventually crumble. It's just a matter of time. That's all I got, man. Hopefully over the last two episodes, you're able to change your perspective about reparations. You're able to see that 
is not a foreign concept. It's not a crazy ask for black people to want some type of reprieve for what our ancestors experienced and now what we are experiencing as a result of what they experienced. Sure, I was never enslaved. You were never enslaved. But the fear of white supremacy, the lack of control, the lack of of influence, the lack of power as a people is a direct result to my ancestors' life in America. The psychological effects are something that you can't even put a price tag on. But you best believe you're going to put a price tag on it. <laughs> That's all I got, man. I'm front line every time it's on, nigga. 100 pro flow. Run and shoot pro. 458 drop. Playing bulletproof so. Every few shows, I just buy some new gold. Circle got smaller, everybody can't go.